Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special broadcast episode of Monday Morning Side. I'm your host, Macy Hanslick Barrand, and once again, this is a special broadcast on WKCR's Variety News and Arts show, Monday Morning Side, in order to cover student protests on Columbia's campus Friday, February 2nd, 2024. So, what you just heard as an intro was some audio from the protest. We have lots of that in store for you today. Our goal for this program is not to platform opinions or beliefs about the events that transpired this past week. We recognize that these are incredibly sensitive matters, and each of us individually hold our own private feelings about what we'll be discussing. However, this is not what we'll be addressing today, and none of the opinions you will hear over the next hour reflect the beliefs held by WKCR. Once again, our intention is is to present any account of the events outside of Columbia's campus yesterday from a student reporter perspective. As a disclaimer, the following program will contain sensitive content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Please listen at your own discretion. For the next hour, I will discuss Friday's events. We will begin by providing context about the Barnard inauguration protest, followed by protest interviews and audio from the event. Then we will discuss the citywide protest that took place an hour later outside Columbia's main gates on 116th Street, beginning with the events leading up, followed by more protest and counter-protest interviews and a chronology of the march as captured by the WKCR field team. We hope you can join us for the whole broadcast. Thank you for tuning in. So once again, there were two events that happened this day, and we're going to be delving into each of them in detail. So the first event was a protest of Dean slash President Rosenberry's inauguration over at Barnard College. This inauguration was taking place at Riverside Church, but we're going to give you all some context as to why exactly a percentage of the student body decided to boycott this event. So firstly, we will email, we will read an email for you that was sent out on December 22nd titled Together in Community. Dear members of the Barnard community, at Barnard we celebrate openness, critical thinking, empathy, as well as we engage in intellectual risk-taking and discovery. We welcome and embrace students, faculty, and staff with different backgrounds and point of view, and we collectively endeavor to analyze, discuss, and debate challenging ideas. These values have been tested as our community mourns the loss of life in Israel and Gaza and debates ways to end the conflict ensure the safe return of hostages, and respond to horrific sexual and gender-based violence and other atrocities. We condemn anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim and anti-Arab hatred, yet some of our interactions have lacked the empathy and respect we hold dear. Students wearing Stars of David, head coverings, and kefias have reported feeling physically threatened, for example, and an unauthorized protest on our campus included chants and banners with phrases that are inconsistent with our values. We may disagree about the intent and meaning of certain words, but I ask each and every one of us to acknowledge that language can cause harm, and I call upon our community to work to alleviate that harm. Phrases like from the river to the sea and by any means necessary or chants of intifada are deeply hurtful to many members of our community and experienced as anti-Semitic threats of violence. Many members of our community are also hurt when the labels Hamas or terrorists are used to describe those protesting the war and humanitarian crisis in Gaza. We must do better to ensure that every member of our community feels welcome on our campus, even when we disagree and challenge one another. 
Threats, harassment, or discrimination have no place on our campus, and we will continue to challenge all actions that are antithetical to who we are as an inclusive community. This is particularly important because our small campus is not simply a place of learning and work, it is also a home for most of our students. <clears throat> to strengthen our campus climate, Barnard commits to do the following as a college in 2024. First, we will continue to offer programming designed to foster mutual understanding and respect, building upon our efforts over the past three months. We will begin the spring semester with a day-long series of events on Friday, January 19th, that is designed to address our challenges, promote respectful dialogue across our difference, and affirm our commitment to being an inclusive community. We will cancel classes that day so that students may participate in the event, and we will continue to offer related speaker series and other programs throughout 2024. More information on the January 19th day of events will be provided early in the new year, and all programming related to this commitment will continue to be posted here. Second, we will work with faculty and staff and student leaders to review and improve our existing policies with a particular focus on ensuring that we continue to protect freedom of expression and prohibit identity-based harassment and discrimination. Barnard's policies are created with the intent of helping us live and learn together, and we are committed to ensuring that these policies live up to that goal. Third, we will continue to enforce all policies and rules, including our code of conduct, and hold those who violate them responsible for their actions. Protests are fundamental to our democracy, and they can play a vital role in the overall campus experience at Barnard, so long as they do not disrupt our learning environment or threaten the safety of the community. We have procedures in place to achieve these goals, and we will continue to initiate confidential proceedings for individuals who do not follow these procedures and instead engage in unauthorized protests. We will also continue to investigate and address all reports of harassment, discrimination, hate speech, and threats of violence, including calls for the genocide of any group. We must and we will do better. I stand with our students, faculty, staff, trustees, alumni, and parents to shoulder the responsibility of fostering a sense of belonging and community while supporting intellectual risk-taking and discovery. Now more than ever, it is crucial that we collectively hold up this commitment to our mission and take affirmative steps together. I congratulate our students for finishing their final exams and papers, and I thank our faculty and staff for their dedication and commitment to our students. This has been a particularly challenging time for our community. I know we will rise together in 2024. With bold determination for the new year, Laura Ann Rosenberry, President. So once again, that email was sent on December 22nd to the Barnard community. That email was followed by a January 11th email um, referring to the Day of Dialogue, which is was mentioned in the email that I just read. So I'll read a part of that for you. Welcome to the new semester. As President Rosenberry announced last month, Barnard will convene a day-long gathering on Friday, January 19th, entitled Toward a Beloved Community, a Day of Dialogue and Reflection. Classes have been canceled so that you can take part in this landmark event. Please register by Wednesday, January 17th, using the Day of Dialogue registration form so that we can adequately prepare for seating, the optional workshops, and food services. Through exploration and analysis, dialogue, telling our stories, and hearing the stories of others, our goal is to approach the difficult events of recent months with genuine curiosity and openness. We will learn more from nationally recognized experts about the war in the Middle East and its ripple effects around the world. We will also learn how we can respond as open and active listeners as we express our views and process the views of others, enhancing our capacities to evaluate what we read and see. So they then list the activities of the day that are part of this event. And this event, we'll get into this later, was also boycotted by a percentage of 
the student population at Barnard. The activities of the day are described below. The day will begin with a conversation led by leaders from the University of California, Berkeley, Dr. Hatem Bazian, Executive Director of the Islamophobia Studies Center, Dr. Ron Husner, Professor of Political Science and Faculty, Director of the Helen Diller Institute for Jewish Law and Israel Studies, who took the initiative to lead their own campus in a call for community earlier this fall. As they jointly wrote to the Berkeley campus community, there are two professors who disagree vehemently. Together, they will share how their identities and the scholarship on international conflict in the Middle East has shaped their work and lives and how they can come together in a moment of crisis to rally one of the nation's most contentious campuses around the ideals of respect and dignity. Session two will be a discussion with colleagues and longtime friends, Professor Omar Dahani, Professor of Law at the University of the Pacific, and Dr. Mira Sukharov, Professor of Political Science at Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada. Professor Dahani, who has served as a legal advisor to the Palestinian negotiating team in peace talks with Israel and who is the son of a Palestinian refugee, and Dr. Sukharov, whose family lives on a kibbutz and came under attack by Hamas militants, have traveled together and blogged together, and they will join us to share their complex experiences navigating collaboration and friendship after October 7th and discuss why they value dialogue, especially during this heightened time. Interspersed among the panels will be lightning sessions on practical skill building to engage in a dialogue and live and learn together on campus. The afternoon will be devoted to nurturing expression through poetry with the power of stories, a literary interpretation and storytelling workshop facilitated by faculty across the college and our student writing center, writing fellows. In optional small groups, three spaces will be dedicated to careful reading, active listening, and creative expression, helping us understand more deeply the human dimension of this worldwide crisis. Finally, we will come together in celebration of one another with music, dancing, and refreshments. Lunch will be served at the afternoon storytelling workshop. Students who don't attend a workshop will receive a voucher that will be redeemable in the Hewitt Dining Hall or Diana Center Cafe during that day's lunch operating hours. We approach this work with rigor and a strong sense of purpose, knowing we will not overcome these obstacles in a single day, and we will continue to offer programming throughout the semester. We also come together with an appreciation for this opportunity to better live towards our ideal of a beloved community. So once again, that was from the Vice President for Inclusion and Engaged Learning. Um, and that event was actually protested by a percentage of the student body population. So there's a post that was co-posted by Students for Justice in Palestine at Columbia, Barnard and Columbia Abolition Collective, and Jewish Voice for Peace Columbia. And I'll read that now for you to explain why these students chose to boycott this event. We are calling for a boycott of Barnard's Day of Dialogue. How Barnard is creating an illusion of prompting dialogue in order to continue their genocide, denial, and censorship of Palestinian voices. 1. Reminder. This is not a mandatory event. Barnard is simply sending out constant reminders to register for this event because they are desperate to have students attend. They even canceled class on the first week of school just to encourage attendance. You will not be disciplined for simply not attending. Instead, attend the protests happening at 1 p.m. on Friday on the Low Steps. This is a genocide, not a conflict. As Israel has been charged with genocide by South Africa in front of the International Court of Justice, and as the death toll surpasses 30,000 Palestinians, Barnard still insists on calling this a conflict rather than a genocide. 3. We do not celebrate during a genocide. It is unbelievable to expect students to want to come together to celebrate with music and dancing while a genocide is ongoing and the college has refused to acknowledge it, instead openly ignoring the Palestinian death toll in emails to students. 
it is beyond tone-deaf and insensitive. 4. Palestinian faculty at Barnard were not even consulted. Professor Nadia Abu al-Hajj is one of the only Palestinian professors at Barnard. Her work is specifically focused on Palestine. Barnard did not even attempt to reach out to her for planning this event that supposedly fosters dialogue in the very field she is in. Why are our own faculty with expertise in this field being shut out? 5. Barnard is picking and choosing which voices to allow. Rather than reaching out to the plethora of renowned Palestinian scholars at Barnard and Columbia, Barnard has handpicked a representative with a Palestinian perspective who is in alignment with their own. Barnard has also canceled Students for Justice in Palestine's teach-in with Palestinian writer Mohammed al-Kurd and censored the Woman, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Statement with Solidarity with Palestine. We refuse to attend any of Barnard's events on this issue until they acknowledge the ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people. So once again, that was a joint post from Students for Justice in Palestine at Columbia, Barnard and Columbia Abolition Collective, and Jewish Voice for Peace at Columbia in response to the Day of Dialogue at Barnard. And after this, we saw a protest, actually a boycott, in front of the Day of Dialogue. Um, I believe there were students in attendance, but many of them also boycotted as well. And lastly, Barnard sent out an email on January 17th. So this is after the email on the Day of Dialogue with protest information and regulations. So I'll read that to you now. Dear Barnard community, as we embark on the new semester, we wish to provide even more accessible information about safety measures and guidelines related to the protests. As President Rosenberry shared in her December 22, 2023 message, protests are fundamental to our democracy and they can play a vital role in the overall campus experience at Barnard, so long as they do not disrupt our learning environment or threaten the safety of our community. As part of this effort, we have launched a dedicated webpage that includes the following. Safety tips, rules for maintenance of public order, events policies, choosing assembly locations for specific events, application deadlines for specific events, procedures for addressing non-compliance. Please note that the application deadline for authorized protests during the February 2nd inauguration ceremony is January 19th, 2024. This deadline will not be extended. We appreciate your cooperation and adhering to these guidelines. We will keep the website updated as more information becomes available. So there is a link to a website with more protest information on this email. And the particular quote that was cited by many of the protesters is as follows. Quote, In compliance with the rules for maintenance of public order, no form of protest, vocal or silent, will be acceptable inside Barnard buildings or during the ceremonies inside Riverside Church. Once again, many students at Barnard were disappointed with that particular rule and regulation, which is important context for the inauguration protest that happened on February 2nd. And lastly... For some more context for the Barnard protests, I will read a post from Students for Justice in Palestine at Columbia University, Columbia University Apartheid Divest, and Columbia Jewish Voice for Peace. Quote, Laura Rosenberry has caused immense harm to the Barnard community within just months of her presidency, in line with demands one and five of Columbia University Apartheid Divest. We demand that 
Rosenberry stop her blatant censorship of both faculty and students, which has caused Barnard to be put on watch by the New York Civil Liberties Union for violation of academic freedom, and acknowledge the ongoing genocide in Gaza and call on President Biden and all over other government officials to support an immediate ceasefire, end quote. So once more, that was posted by Students for Justice in Palestine, Columbia University Apartheid Divest, and Columbia Jewish Voice for Peace. And in reference to the New York Civil Liberties Union letter, I'll read a section of that. It's, it's more comprehensive, and you can access this letter online should you wish to read it in its entirety. <clears throat> but I'll read a, a segment of that now. Our assertion that the newly imposed policy violates principles of academic freedom rests upon several conclusions. First, that the central tenet of academic freedom holds the donors, politicians, must not be permitted to intrude into the province of scholarly discourse and must not dictate the content of academic speech. Second, that this principle is not limited to the classroom and must not be extended to departmental websites which perform important pedagogical functions and prove significant opportunities for scholarly discourse. Third, that this principle should also extend to protect scholars from retaliation or punishment based on their personal opinions and political associations. Fourth, that the intrusions into academic freedom in this case are exacerbated by the imposition of vague standards governing what will or will not be permitted on departmental websites. And fifth, that at this time, when academic freedom is under attack, it is vital that the academic community stand together in support of its most fundamental principles. So you see referenced here um, a website that was censored, and that is about the Gender and Sexuality Studies Department at Barnard, who posted a Palestinian solidarity statement that was taken down by Barnard College. So that is what sparked the New York Civil Liberties Union letter, which has been referenced by the groups that decided to boycott both the Day of Dialogue and the Barnard inauguration. Lastly, while our field reporters were at the inauguration, they received a zine, which for those of you who don't know is a small pamphlet, um, often handmade, and this zine says for Laura on the front, XOXO Barnard. It is in the um, style of a burn book from the movie Mean Girls and was handed out by protesters at the inauguration. So I'll read a section of that for now. From the time she was hired, I knew she would be a failure. She is weaponizing Jewish pain to support genocide. Quite frankly, I don't even know why I was expecting any better from the administration or from Rosenberry. But long story short, we're not interested in attending your inauguration, Laura. And then she says... In simplest terms, President Rosenberry's shameless tenure, shameful tenure makes me feel unsafe. When she speaks the exclusive, diversive, condescending, and anti-Muslim word, she also gives a green light for hatred in our community. Shame on her. In my view, she is and has failed a basic requirement of her job to serve the interest of all students, not just the ones whose lives she actually values and whose communities she seems worthy of mere acknowledgement. So there are some more things included in this scene, such as a picture of the New York Times article, quote, Barnard College's restrictions on political speech prompt outcry, um, and some more graphics. Once again, this zine was handed out at the Barnard inauguration protest. So 
today we're getting into some audio from that very protest. First, we have an interview taken with a woman standing just outside the outskirts of the picket. She asked to be referred to as Joanna, so I will play that audio for you now. And so you said you're protesting specifically the inauguration of President Rosenberry. Can you elaborate on that and what exactly you have seen from Rosenberry in particular that has been disappointing for your group? Yeah, um, well, she has been brutally cracking down on free expression in the university. Um, we've really seen something called a Palestine exception where free speech is allowed until Palestine comes up and her uh, her administration has been disciplining students and faculty for uh, basic nonviolent speech as soon as you express support for Palestine. Um, I've heard many students express fear about what they can and cannot say in public and in the classroom because of the uh, vindictiveness of the Barnard administration in particular. It's a problem on the Columbia campus, but it's especially a problem on the Barnard campus. Um, and she's a vocal Zionist who's cracked down on, um, who's cracked down on people who simply want an end to genocide, even if she doesn't agree with us. Uh, it's what I've seen on campus, and I've been here a long time, is really beyond the pale, the, the level of chilling free speech um, and, and academic, uh, academic liberties. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know there were some faculty members here just previously supporting you guys. So can you talk a little bit more about your involvement with uh, supportive faculty? Yeah, um, I think a number of them are with FSJP, which is Faculty and Staff for Justice in Palestine. Um, and so I've been organizing through Quad, Columbia University, Apartheid Divest. Um, and those groups have a really productive partnership. And uh, I think many of us recognize that this is a shared fight um, on, and on and off campus. We have to work together. And so... Uh, you know, their jobs are at risk and we want to back them up and vice versa. Um, so I think that we have shared uh, shared incentives to uh, protect us uh, in terms of our physical safety, in terms of our workplace rights, um, while also having a shared political cause of trying to end the genocide in Gaza. Um, so you mentioned divestment. Is there anything else you would like to see from the Columbia in the upcoming weeks? Yeah, I mean, um, divestment is a, a big one, of course, but also, uh, you know, we need commitments not to, uh, for example, threaten students engaging in nonviolent protests with arrest. We need guarantees of our safety. Um, we need commitments to free speech and to workplace safety. Um, and uh, one of our original demands was the reinstatement of SJP and JVP charters. Um, so, you know, more, more commitment not to um, make arbitrary rules that specifically target student groups that support Palestine, um, I think would go a long way to improving the health and well-being of the students on this campus. Absolutely. Is there anything else you would like to add? No, that's it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. 
So once again, that was a protester from the Barnard inauguration protest on the outskirts of the picket. Um, next, I will be playing a couple chants from the protest, and then we'll get into another interview. For anyone just tuning in, this is Monday Morningside special broadcast coverage of the February 2nd protests outside Columbia's campus. You're listening to WKCR FM New York and WKCR HD. That's 89.9 on your dial or WKCR.org if you're tuning in online. So once again, I'll play some more audio and chant for you. Alrighty, once again, those were some chants from the barn inauguration protest. Now I have joining with me Sophia Rivera, who was a field reporter throughout the day here. And once again, to finish up the Barnard inauguration, we'll be playing one more interview, some chants, and then a, a faculty clip that we had. Alrighty, so we see that you have some members here in yellow safety vests. Um, and as we covered in the last protest, there's some new safety measures. So can you explain to us what events at Columbia have made this so important? What events at Columbia? At, at Columbia have made oh, student why? safety Okay, yeah, important. definitely. Um, after the protest that occurred about, I think it like two weeks ago now, a week and a half ago on a Friday where um, we were having a protest and students were sprayed with a chemical substance. We've just felt that it's better to kind of make sure that those that decide to protest with us are the safest that they can be. And so we kind of just make sure that we have a larger presence that are just really focused on the safety of the students participating. Um, and there's a large NYPD presence here today. Can you elaborate on your feelings on that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely crazy. Um, we did not publish this um, and it was really just a simple picket just outside of this event and yet they put us around in barricades um, almost immediately and they've been around here this entire time despite us peacefully protesting. It's very intimidating and very scary but we're definitely not intimidated and we definitely like will still be coming out despite NYPD's increased presence. And can you explain a little bit about your safety measures in particular and what um, cautions you're taking at these protests? Yeah, I guess definitely like not trying our best to look as not identifiable as possible, wearing a mask not only for security but for safety. COVID is still a real thing. Um, but also like making sure that the people who are protesting know who is identifiable and who can support them. Um, yeah, I think that's the best thing, which is what you can see with the yellow vest. Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to add today? I don't think so. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Alrighty, once again, that was an interview with a participant at the Barnard protest. We then saw um, a little bit of a split. One of the protest organizers asked the group to send one third of their participants over to the other entrance of Riverside Church. So we had reporters on both ends. This is likely because they were unsure of which end guests would leave from. Um, apparently, though, according to those who were inside the Barnard inauguration, the chants could be heard throughout the inauguration. There were also disruptions inside the inauguration itself with a couple people standing up and, and voicing their opinions um, that have hit social media now, which once again was explicitly not allowed, um, as as referred to in the prior Barnard email that was read. So right now we have a clip of field reporter Ella Preciado just discussing the police presence at this protest. The time is 3.05 p.m. and we are still standing outside of the Riverside Church at the Riverside Drive entrance. I mentioned a couple minutes ago that a portion of the protesters had moved to stand on the opposite side of the church near the Claremont Avenue entrance even as a portion of the protesters moved to the other side of the church. The number of NYPD officers has remained the same, the police presence remaining heavy here on Riverside Drive. So once again, that was Ella Preciado discussing the heavy police presence that was seen. It was, from our observations, close to a one-to-one ratio of protesters to police, um, over at the Barnard protest, because once again, it was a small picket, as that um, person that we interviewed discussed. So we have one, two more chants for you, and then we will segue right into an interview with Columbia faculty who were boycotting the inauguration and standing outside of the church. So we'll play those three clips for you.
you guys are wearing robes, were you in the inauguration? No. No. So your signs say Barnard College censors free speech. Can you expand on your stance as faculty, we presume, and how you feel about the events lately and the, the response from the Can college? Can say anything about that? No. Okay. Um, in the last few months, um, just as it's become more important than ever to have clear, deep, continued dialogue, this new president of Barnard has shut down that dialogue repeatedly. She has made it harder for students to protest. She's made it impossible for faculty and students to hold many events with scholars who are deeply learned and balanced and representing a wide range of viewpoints, but out of their, I don't know what, fear, perhaps, not wanting to engage, being a, afraid of controversy, they've stepped back the basic function of our institution, which is education. Um, and through a lot of actions, such as capricious rule changes that have been taken without consulting faculty, um, she's undermined the trust that we have um, in her. And do you have any comments on the New York Civil Liberties Union letter that was sent to Barnard? Yes, I do. That's my department that actually worked with them to do that. I'm really proud that um, we have this collaboration. I think it's really important. I also want to say, at this particular moment in time, the NYCLU is very, very busy. The fact that they saw fit to take this up tells you what a serious infraction um, that is going on here and how um, really uh, crucial and central it is not just to academic freedom and trying to restore the traditions of academic freedom that we have here, but how important academic freedom is to civil liberties writ large. This is really crucial. We should be a central place keeping um, keeping freedom of expression and dialogue open broadly in society in New York City and further abroad. And, and unfortunately, we're not fulfilling our basic obligations. And so you've talked about the effects on students at the college, but how have you as faculty felt in terms of safety and protection from the university? I don't know about, I'm not going to speak to safety and protection. I'm a full professor. I'm able to do, you know, I feel free to speak. But I do want to say that a lot of junior faculty are very, very scared about, um, about what's on their syllabi. They're afraid that the kinds of things they've been teaching in the past are that students, uh, some students are being coached to actually um, report them, look out for things. People are afraid to even just have the kinds of deep dives that we've had in the past. Junior faculty members are not, they're worried about speaking their mind. And I don't know, maybe that's true of all of the junior faculty members, regardless of their opinions. That's really sad. Um, and then lastly, what would you like to see from Columbia University moving forward? I'd like to see them reverse course. I'd like to see them embrace the strong, old tradition of free expression. I'd like to see them actually recognize student protest as a key um, practicing ground for civic engagement, for students actually taking seriously the world around them and connecting it to what they're learning. Um, and I'd like to see administration on both sides of the street really engage faculty in a serious way that's not about um, 
what they're perceiving as damage control somehow, but reach into the faculty for people with the serious expertise on the issues at hand and reach broadly across the faculty. Uh, and don't try to control the dialogue with all these phony task forces and listening groups. Great. Thank, Thank you, you for your time. Thank you. All right. So once again, that was a faculty interview from the Barnard inauguration protest. <clears throat> and that is the end of our coverage for the Barnard inauguration protest. Now we'll turn to Sophia to explain a little bit more about the citywide protest and the context leading up to these events. Hi. Um, thanks for tuning in. So, yeah, as Macy said, I'll just be talking about the citywide protest that was also taking place on Friday at a different part of the campus. Um, so this was occurring outside of the 116th gates on Broadway starting around 3 p.m. on Friday. Um, and just for some background on this event, to our knowledge, this protest was organized by both outside organizations called Within Our Lifetimes, WOL, and Columbia organization CUAD, it's Columbia University Apartheid Divest, our Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voice for Peace. So the protest was titled All Out for Palestine at Columbia University, um, and there was a post that said it would be, quote, in solidarity with Palestine organizers and protesters attacked the skunk spray by Zionists on campus January 19th. Again, that's a quote from um, their post. Um, so the citywide protest, according to the Columbia University Apartheid Divest Instagram regarding the canceled protest on that previous Thursday, they said, quote, in light of extreme measures of repression on the part of the university, such as excessive barricading of the library and heavy presence of public safety in NYPD, as well as information received confirming that public safety is intending to take harsh disciplinary action against any protesters today, we have decided to cancel today's disruption in order to preserve the safety of our comrades. And now I'll be reading the safety guidelines that were posted um, for this Friday protest. Alrighty, so once again, the safety guidelines for the Friday protest start with, our movement for liberation is growing by the day and those who in power will try anything to silence and repress us. We expect a significant NYPD presence at our protest today, so we want to remind our community of our safety guidelines and your rights as protesters. And it continues, here are their guidelines, move as one, always stay behind the banner and inside the perimeter set by the organizers, never speak to the police, don't post any photos or videos that could get a community member in trouble, write the National Lawyers Guild number on your arm prior to arriving at the protest. Do not engage with counter-protesters. Keep your focus on the protest and why we're here. There will be legal observers in neon hats, safety marshals with armbands, and medics in vests. If you need a medic, raise your arms in an X over your head and yell medic. Follow the lead of the organizers. If anything happens, make sure you are safe, then film it. After the protest, leave quickly in groups. Wear a mask for your safety and the safety of others. And then uh, a second part of the post says, know your rights. Don't talk to law enforcement without your lawyer. Be prepared to repeat. I will not answer any questions without my lawyer present. Please give me your business card and my lawyer will follow up with you. You always have the right to refuse to talk to law enforcement, even if you are not a U.S. citizen. It's safer to refuse to talk to them without a lawyer, even if you think you have nothing to hide. They often approach people to fish for information on them, their friends, families, and broader communities. Anything you say could be used against them or yourself. 
Never lie to them. It is always better to say nothing at all and repeat, quote, I will not answer any questions about my lawyer present. And finally, do not consent to any searches of your bag, your home, your car, etc. And be prepared to repeat, I do not consent to this search. So again, this is a quote, um, sorry, this is a reading from the post entitled Safety Guidelines from the CU Apartheid Divest Instagram that was posted um, in lieu of this protest just before. Mm-hmm. And we have some interviews that we got at the beginning of this protest for you now. So we have a couple interviews with um, Palestinian protesters. So the first interview was actually a CUNY student, right? Right. Yeah. So these would have been students on the pro-Palestine uh, side of the protest, um, which is happening further south of the 116 gates, while the pro-Israeli students or organizers were on the northern side of the gates. So yeah, this first interview got cut off the first part, but here is a CUNY student talking about her solidarity and why she was there that day. So I just got back from um, study abroad and I haven't been able to protest in the country I was in. Um, So I'm just trying to get back to advocacy and um, really talking about the things that matter. Um, And I think that anti-colonialism has to be uh, intersectional and uh, you have to stand up for what matters, um, even if the media is telling you it doesn't. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. And so the next two interviews that we have are with Columbia students. Um, so there's there's going to be three students that you're hearing from. Okay. Hi, we're just um, interviewing people who are here at the protest from WKCR. Are you a Columbia student? Yes. Okay, awesome. Is this your first time protesting for Palestine? Not at all. Great. What brings you out here today? Uh, today is more support. I'm a uh, protest photographer, like uh, especially for like the school. I work a lot with like SJP and JVP. Uh, today is more support. I did shoot the last one of these from within our lifetime, but today I feel more just kind of here to bring support. Great. Um, How did you first hear about these protests? How did I first hear about them? Yeah. Um, usually like word of mouth first or friends first, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, can I ask like, yeah. what you're hoping to yeah. get from the university or from leaders in New York following this protest? Uh, well, the whole point of uh, protest is disruption. It's for attention to a cause. And so with uh, the Columbia, Columbia specifically, it has a lot to do with, I mean, there's a couple of different facets. They've done a lot of this point but I mean we're thinking about things like divesting from uh, certain institutions and places that fund Israel for example pulling out of Tel Aviv those canvases and things like that are very important and uh, you know divestors that we're looking for but in accordance to that also I mean as a student on campus I've experienced the day-to-day of the persecution and I mean continual violence against black and brown students that's another facet of this protest that is being uh, you know done is that we are not protected at all we are targeted quite heavily but through the school uh, through I mean just on the way here I had some Israelis uh, harass me for simply existing. Uh, getting NYPD off of campus, as again, I've been harassed by NYPD as being a black male, simply for being here, whether having a kafia on or not, just being black is enough uh, uh, here to be harassed. So there's a couple of different facets to it. I mean, this has been going on for so long. There's so many different things to be protesting for. But I'd say the big ones are, you know, divestment from large sources uh, from Colombia that go into Israel. And then on the other hand, is protecting students on campus uh, of all students and not just a certain type of student. Absolutely. Um, And what is the institution's reaction to um, the student groups and individual students protesting here been? Militarized, militarized, militarized. Ignore, ignore, evade. Militarized, militarized, militarized. That's how I describe it. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to us. So are you guys students at Columbia? 
Yes. Awesome. And what brings you out here today? Support for the Palestinian cause. Um, anger at how the university is sending our tuition money and investing in Israeli funds, and also how the American government is spending our tax dollars. That's awesome. Do you mind just projecting a little bit because of the mask? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, all of that, and also I think just show support for the students at our school who have been leading the charge and organizing so much, and to show up and support them as well. And how has the university been responding to the organizing students? Well, they've sent out emails to, I think, 19 Barnard students who led an organization in December, um, a protest, and um, sent out emails like, give, like giving them disciplinary action, which we absolutely condemn. And what are some of the goals that the movement is trying to accomplish out here today and get the university to listen to? It's obviously in response, right, to the skunk um, that was sprayed um, at the last major protest, I believe. Um, and also, I think, to obviously show um, solidarity with Palestinians who are still now in this ongoing, awful war. Um, and, yeah, I feel like every day hearing more and more awful news, it's just, yeah, I feel like you can't even put words to it. Did you wanna? I don't. No worries. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, is this your guys' first time coming out here for the cause? No. Uh, no. Great. Are a lot of students coming back repeatedly? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And this event specifically, because it's citywide, how were you made aware of this? Instagram. Yeah, I think. Word of mouth. Yeah. SJP, Instagram. I feel like they're good at posting with like multiple accounts, so I feel like you see a bunch of things whenever something's happening. Um, I feel like that's where I get most of my update on like the Columbia Palestinian movement. Okay, thank you guys so much for go. chatting. Um, all right, and then the next clip that we're gonna play is on the pro-Israel side of this protest. So this kind of counter protest that was happening on Broadway and 116th. Um, just for some context, when I was there as a reporter, it was really easy to access this pro-Palestinian side, but then the pro-Israel side had a lot of issues for our reporters to get in there, which I thought was interesting. But uh, we were able to interview two students, so here's their responses. Okay. Um, so again, I'm a student um, reporter with WKCR, the student radio station. I just wanted to ask what brings you out here today. Um, support Israel, free the hostages, you know, this is, this is like a battle for the future of both this country and for the future of our country. Yeah, we're out here just showing support for the Israeli side and just trying to show that although there's a lot of anti-Israel stuff in the media, that there still are people who care deeply about Israel. Okay. Also supporting our Israeli friends and family. Okay, and how did you hear about this protest or this event today? Um, well, from mostly from friends and social media. Okay, the same for you? Yeah, social media. Okay, and I'm curious if there's any actions you want to see coming out of today from either Colombia or from leaders in the U.S.? Look, we, we just want to see more efforts directed at bringing the hostages home. That's like number one priority. And also to just rally more Jewish students on campuses to fight for what we believe in and for the state of Israel. Thank you so much. Alrighty, once more, those were students from 
the counter protest that was right next to the protest on 116th Street. So now we have some clips from our field reporters following the protest. Once again, it started on 116th and Broadway, which is right in front of Columbia's campus. First to play for you, I have a police altercation with a protester that happened right as the march was starting. Um, So once again, they were trying to go down to 114th Street to cross over to Amsterdam, and this is what we heard. So as you could hear in that clip, um, there was an altercation between a protester and the police as the march was beginning. And you can also hear a protest organizer who is trying to get the procession moving, asking that the police please make space if they are to occupy the sidewalk and not the street. So after that happened, there was some movement. The protest started marching down 114th Street towards Amsterdam Avenue Um And the counter-protesters, the ones that Sophia interviewed, were following behind. So I just have a clip talking about the distance that the police put in between protesters. The time is 4.33. We are still at the back of the march. It is nearing Amsterdam Avenue. It appears that NYPD has tried to put distance in between the counter-protesters and the protesters. So now the march is proceeding. The counter-protesters are about 50 feet behind the march. So once again, the police were doing some crowd control measures and keeping the counter-protesters away from the actual protest because there was a bit of tension. It appeared there might be an altercation, so they ended up asking the counter-protesters to stop marching until there was enough distance between them and the actual protest. So following this, they marched down 114th Street and took a left onto Amsterdam. However, as soon as protesters occupied Amsterdam. I'm not sure if it was not meant to be blocked off for protesting or what exactly, but NYPD began playing an audio from their speaker and lining up in a straight line. This is the strategic response team of the New York Police Department. They all had zip ties and they began playing an audio that indicated anyone that stayed in the street would be arrested. So I'm going to play that that audio for you now. Sidewalk, you will be placed under arrest and charged with disorderly conduct. Those 
This is the New York City Police Department. You are unlawfully in the roadway and obstructing vehicular traffic. You are ordered to leave the roadway and utilize the available sidewalk. If you do so voluntarily... So once again, that was the audio that started playing as NYPD advanced on protesters and arrests were made. So we have a clip from field reporter Ian who is discussing an arrest that he saw shortly after that audio played for you. Back here, we're still at the same area, the cluster chanting, let them go. It appears there was an arrest earlier that I had reported. So once again, you can hear our field reporter, Ian, confirming that there was an arrest. Um, The group, however, did not leave the street, um, though NYPD was commanding them to do so. The majority of the protest stayed in the street and began to take a left turn onto 120th back towards Broadway. So there, there was a bit of a commotion. We'll have another clip from Ian. The NYPD once again stationed themselves at the end of 120th and Broadway in a line once more and played the same audio from their speakers attempting to get protesters to move onto the sidewalk. So we have a clip for you here. I'm out the front of the protest. see police officers in the very, very front. Seeing I'm at the corner of West 120th Street and Broadway. Also, right next to the sign, Teachers College Way. We're right outside of Teachers College. We see protests in front. Still going down. Police officers are saying, don't let them take the street. They're forming a line between corner on Broadway and West 120th Streets, 4.53 p.m. Again, a big group of protesters about to come down. Police officers, once again, they are saying, don't let them come down the street. They don't want them to cross here now. The protest is coming through. Once again, the police officers saying, don't let them come through. I can hear they're forming a line now. And it appears we're about to converge between the protests and the police officers. Again, this is West 120th Street and Broadway, uh, right outside of Teachers College. 53 p.m. Protests, the front of it at least, has stopped. So that was field reporter Ian discussing how the protest was approaching Broadway once more um, and NYPD had stationed themselves in a human barricade and played the same audio encouraging protesters to get on the sidewalk to avoid arrest. So following this altercation, protesters were directed by um, safety who were wearing yellow and orange armbands to get onto the sidewalk. But they occupied the sidewalk and then immediately after passing the station of NYPD went back onto Broadway um, and marched all the way down to 116th Street, essentially shutting down both sides of Broadway, which was what NYPD was trying to avoid. Um, So we have a, a chant. Once the protest convened at 116th and Broadway, they were chanting our street. And I'll play that for you as the NYPD was playing the audio telling people to get out of the road. Our street, our street, our street. 
So as you can see, there was a bit of chaos there at the end. That clip was taken right before the dispersion of the protest. So once again, protest safety, who had yellow and orange armbands, were telling protesters to disperse, to go home with a buddy, and to be wary of NYPD presence, which was still heavy, as they were still playing the audio in the speakers. Um, so that was the end of the protest. Once again, we had field reporters there the entire time. There were some arrests made, so now briefly we're going to talk about the aftermath of the protest. So this is the the statement from Columbia University of Hartite Teves. They said, on February 2nd, 2024, NYPD arrested at least one Columbia student and around 20 other individuals for nonviolent protesting against genocide outside the Columbia University gates. Um, although we at this time don't have a, an additional confirmation of this number. Yep. And then Columbia University Apartheid Divest also posted a press statement. The title was NYPD Violently Assault Punch Pro-Palestine Columbia University Students Multiple Arrests Made. So I can read that statement now for you. Once again, Columbia University Apartheid Divest. Morningside Heights, New York City, February 2nd, 2024. On the afternoon of Friday, February 2nd, NYPD arrested at least one Columbia University student and multiple supporters gathered just outside the campus gates. Hundreds of students and supporters had assembled to nonviolently protest the university's complicity in the genocide in Gaza as well as the com- Columbia's criminal endangerment of its pro-Palestine students. Organizers estimate that about 20 people were arrested for nonviolent protests. Video evidence shows NYPD officers using excessive force, crowding protesters, and pushing them to the ground less than a block from Columbia's main campus. Police punched at least one student and pepper sprayed others in the crowd. One protester was sent to the hospital. Catherine Elias, a Columbia student who was also the victim of an on-campus chemical attack on January 19th, says that police punched her while she watched them aggressively pull another protester's arm hard enough to cause her to scream in pain. And an ambulance was called for at least one peaceful protester who had been assaulted by the NYPD. So once again, there's a little bit more to that statement, which is available on the Columbia University Apartheid Divest Instagram. But now we'll have Sophia read the Within Our Lifetimes joint statement. So again, Within Our Lifetimes is the outside organization that put on this protest alongside Columbia University Apartheid Divest. So they say, police brutality and extreme violence in Columbia's neighborhood against students and community members marching for a free Palestine, colon. Yesterday, thousands joined at WOL Palestine, CUAD, SJP Columbia, JVP Columbia, and 83 other community organizations to peacefully protest the ongoing genocide in Palestine and the repression of the pro-Palestine movement on student campus, namely the skunk attack on January 19th. In response, NYPD brutally assaulted protesters, including dislocating someone's arm, body slamming individuals on the ground, and punching people in the stomach. Twelve people were arrested. It is clear that Columbia gave NYPD the green light to assault its own students. Again, we at WKCR are reading this statement from the Within Our Lifetimes group. They continue, only four years after the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests, the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and countless others by police, and the horrific police violence toward protesters that entire summer, NYPD and Columbia continue to use these same tactics against the Palestine movement, a movement made up of majority Muslim, Arab, Black, Brown, Brown, and Palestinian people. While two white students who attacked their classmates with a chemical weapon walk around free, the cops forced their knees on the necks of Palestine-supporting protesters, dragged women by their arms and hair, and crushed elderly men to the ground. Why? For not walking on the sidewalk, for projecting sound, or for protecting their friends from arrest. 
The same entity responsible for investigating the skunk attack on campus endangers those impacted by beating them and arresting them. How can we expect a fair investigation when they clearly discriminate, when they clearly discriminate against pro-Palestinians? Our freedom of speech is threatened with extreme violence. Three Palestinian students were supposed to give speeches and were unable to use their voices. Armed cops with zip ties rushed anyone with a megaphone. This is blatant censorship, and Columbia is relying on the racist, vile NYPD to do so, with no care for the students injured or arrested in the process. Again, we at WKCR are reading this statement from the Within Our Lifetimes group. Alrighty, and that is the conclusion of our protest coverage today. Thank you once again for tuning into this important broadcast of the events on February 2nd outside Columbia University's campus. We hope we were able to provide a comprehensive description of events. To reiterate, the views represented in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WKCR. Once again, thank you for tuning in.